0: No. no. everybody norm over here and i've got one of my closest buddies and i think one of the greatest guitar players of all time josh smith he is one of the greatest at so many different styles you'll learn a lot from him he gets an amazing tone just one of the greatest guitar players of all times for blues r&b bebop one of the all-time greats josh smith (laughs) Everybody. welcome to Norm's Rare Guitars Podcast, and I've got uh, one of my very favorite guitar players in the world, Mr. Josh Smith, and uh, he's a master of all styles, blues, r and bebop. We'll talk, and uh, he's one of my good friends, and I just want to uh, just tell you that my buddy Joe Bonamassa says, there's one guitar player that terrifies me, and that is Josh Smith. He says, Josh can play anything. And he scares the hell out of me, so thank you, Josh, for doing this. Thank you, Norm.
1: Happy to be here. All right.
0: So you were just uh, traveling. Where where did you just come from?
1: I just got back from Italy and Scandinavia. So little Europe, little Scandinavia. Yeah.
0: Were you doing like uh, festivals? I
1: did a festival in Italy and a festival in Sweden and some gigs in Norway. And uh, a clinic and a couple of random things. And uh, that's the way it goes for me these days. A lot of flying by myself, playing with pickup bands, doing a gig, a clinic, all sorts of whatever I can, to, you know.
0: But you got some good players over there that you used to working with and all
1: that. In right? Scandinavia, yeah. I have some guys there that I've played with for years when I go over. Uh, but in other countries lately, it's, it's a crapshoot sometimes, you know. Um but that's, that's the only way I can do it and uh, come home with money in my pocket.
0: There you go. Well, tell them to just play simple and, you know, exactly. just stay out of your way because yeah, uh, exactly. you're the
1: guy. It's an interesting thing always playing with different guys all the time. Sometimes in the course of a week, I'll play with two, three different rhythm sections. It's, uh, it's always a challenge.
0: Well, I'll tell you, he can make anybody sound good, and uh, he's one of the greats of all times. Uh, tell everybody how they can get some of your stuff, you know, on the uh, social media and all that.
1: Well, I mean, the, the main thing would be joshsmithguitar.com or, uh, you know, so from there you can get to my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook to my merch store and all my records and all that type of stuff. Yep.
0: Well, you want to support great players and this is a guy that you want to buy his uh, his CDs, uh, DVDs, yeah. hats, shirts, anything Whatever you can do to get. keep guys like this going. <laughs> Absolutely. He's he's a bidding man.
1: At least so, trying to be better about that side of the, the business these days. There you go.
0: Well, it is a business but I'll tell you it's an art and you are an amazing artist. Thanks, Norm. And great singer and great guitar player. Um, I had the pleasure of actually going in the studio with you uh josh has a great home studio and you have a lot of people that fly in from all over the world to record with you right?
1: i do it's more and more every year uh sometimes it's difficult balancing the schedule because i'm touring so much but uh last year i produced four records other than than my own back there and this year i've already produced two and i have other ones on the schedule and uh Yeah, so between doing my own stuff back there and producing for other artists, it's gotten very busy. And also, I've put, honestly, quite a bit of time and effort into the studio to where it's really awesome now. No, I can vouch
0: for that. It sounds great. Dude, Dude, it's even uh,
1: better than it was when you were there. Yeah, well,
0: uh, you know know what really helps – Having a guy like you behind the board so you can listen and get the good tones and all that kind of stuff and yeah, well, it's, dial it in. That's
1: been interesting because a lot of the records I've produced so far have been guitar players. So it's guys who are fans of mine or wanted, you know, my advice on those types of things. So that's easy. It's in my wheelhouse. But lately I've been starting to produce stuff outside of my wheelhouse, which has really been enjoyable and helped me become a better producer, better engineer. And uh, I'm really enjoying that part of of. of uh, Doing the stuff these days. Well, you
0: know he's such a great musician. When when I first met you, you were playing with Raphael Sadiq. Sure, right? yeah, yeah, and uh, that was some really cool stuff. And yeah,
1: Raphael's amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I mean Josh is like a master at R and B, all styles R yeah. um, and well,
1: uh, B.
0: Yeah, and uh, blues. I'm going to say it. Uh, you know, Josh is turning red here because I'm complimenting him, and you know he. Uh, Sometimes uh, you know, gets humble, but you you don't need to be humble probably, well, the way you play.
1: You know, it's funny, you know, I I grew up listening to just American music, all music. So I tried to always listen with an open mind to anything and find something that I can enjoy. Now I always gravitated towards blues and soul and R&B and jazz and country and things, you know, the great American musical forms that, you know, the reason we're so great at music. I mean, this, this is our, our tradition and our history.
0: Absolutely. You and, and you grew up in Florida and I grew up, I grew up there. I was yeah. like a generation or so before you, you know, I mean, yeah. old guys, but uh, who, who did you play with down there and how did you get out here?
1: Well, I started as a kid um, going to blues jams and stuff and, you know, I was, I had, I started playing guitar at six. So by the time I was 13, I was pretty good. And I was frustrated by the fact that kids my age, if they were good enough to play, you know, with me, like if they had also played as long as I had, they weren't into the music I liked. Because I was already into old school Albert King and Otis Rush and, you know, Motown and Stax and stuff. And at that time it was all transitioning from heavy metal to, like, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff like that. And so I couldn't find kids that were into what I was into, so it became, okay, now I need to go find adults to play Old guys. Yeah, basically. So I lucked into going to these jams, and from one of the jams, some of the old guys kind of saw – The audience go crazy for this little kid playing guitar because it was a novelty, you know, and they thought, well, man, if we bring this little kid to more gigs, maybe we'll book more gigs and get better pay. And that's kind of how it started. They started having me come to all their gigs and then it became instead of their band, it was my name on the front, you know, and. Next thing I knew, I was gigging all the time, and it was like, "Well, let's make a record." So I wrote songs. This you are talking—I'm 13 years old, you know—and uh, it just kind of snowballed from there.
0: And, and you've played with some great jazz
1: artists too, right? You know. Well, I mean, I'm not—I don't consider myself a jazz guy. I've—I've I've yeah, been but you fortunate play to jazz. play with some good jazz artists as friends, but I've never been a full-time jazz guy or on the road touring playing jazz. Or but
0: you—you like you, don't you have a record that's? I do. Uh, yeah. 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 With my Archtop Super Four Hundred that that's but...
1: available next door in the uh-huh. shop. Uh, yes, I did a record called Still two years ago. That was my first like jazz record, and I borrowed that Super Four Hundred to play on most of the album.
0: Well, amazingly tasteful player, and Josh is also on the Joe Bonamassa Blues Cruises a lot. I've been on yeah. several of them, and you were on. I know you're good buddies with Joe.
1: Yeah, Joe's just such a great guy. You know, we have such a um, common upbringing that we share. He was
0: the young kid playing with the old guys
1: too. Yeah, we there's a lot that we have in common as far as the way we were raised and the things we care about and love and are serious about. Um, he's also, in some ways, we're alike because we're very just serious about music, you know? He's not really a drinker or he doesn't right. smoke. I, it's all just, he loves music and I, we can relate to each other on that. I'm the same way and we've been doing this so long that we have a lot of shared experiences. So. And
0: there's a lot of stuff that you did uh previously with Kirk Fletcher, who's a good well, friend. And- Kirk
1: is my best friend, you know. When I moved to LA, I met Kirk shortly after that. And uh I would say it was the first time I'd ever met anybody so much like me, as far as he the was a young into. guy
0: too that was kind of interested. Well, in I knew all all other stuff.
1: young guys, you know. I grew up knowing Derek Trucks and we played together all the time and I, I knew many of these other young guys at that time. Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Johnny Lang. I knew all these guys because we were all on right. the circuit. Uh, but Kirk, I just mean when we met, it felt like, you know, we had literally grown up listening to the exact same records at the same time, wanting to do the same thing. You know, I'd say something and he could like finish my sentence, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was like finding a brother. You
0: yeah, know? One of the great guys and just really nice people. I mean, you know. Josh and Kirk and Joe and, uh, Kenny Wayne and all these guys, you know, uh, what's kind of cool is that, uh, you know, it's not like the old days with these rock stars and stuff that had attitudes sometimes and all that. Yes. These are like, you know, regular down to earth guys that are approachable. And, you know, if you see these guys playing, you know, you can come up to them and talk to them and they're happy to share too some of the, uh, their tips as far as playing and all that. Oh Yeah. Um, you know, you even have a thing on the All Guitar Network where you got some shows, you know, and you have a, a few other things. Yeah, I have many um,
1: instructional stuff like on True Fire. That's been right? really, really beneficial for me financially and 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 also for helping to build my exposure because, you know, All Guitar Network and True Fire has an enormous audience. So I have all of a sudden all these new fans who end up buying my lesson package and learning and then they buy my records, you know, because maybe they didn't know me. It's
0: great that you can kind of go on the Internet and find these kind of things and gives a lot of young people
1: a head start. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an amazing thing about music today and all these players. Guys have so much information available to them that they're able to just grow at light speed compared to the way, you know. I mean, I know the way it was for you when you were learning to play you, you had vinyl, you know. to Right, to, and I had to
0: go to, like, uh, in Miami, there was an area called Liberty City, and I would love the R&B and blues stuff. So I had to go to, like, this area um, that was, you know, out of where I lived to try to find the— people that I was looking for. I mean, yeah. there were some RB and b blues stations there uh, back in the day, but you had to go search for it now. It's at your well, fingertips. Even to get
1: those records. Like if you got told about Otis Rush or something and it was 1962 or whatever, it might take you months to get an Otis Rush Absolutely. record or something like that. Whereas now, if I tell a kid, you should go listen to Otis Rush, he can have his entire ten discography in 10 there. seconds. You know, or, or if I tell a kid, you should learn how to play melodic minor scale, he can have 10 million videos of people showing him how to do it like that. Whereas I had to like go find a, some way to figure this out, ask somebody, yeah. buy a book. You know, there wasn't any of that. So it's interesting. Guys are coming so much further quicker, but I'm also seeing like certain little steps that are just even getting completely ignored. They don't exist anymore. Like right. like like playing gigs nonstop oh, yeah. for four hours well, a night yeah, doing covers. Four, and things five, like that. six sets a night. Yeah. I remember
0: in Miami, uh, there was a place called the... 3 o'clock club or the 5 o'clock, I don't remember what it was, but it was yeah. 6 45-minute sets. Oh, yeah. Man, by the end of the night, you were like soaking wet, you come out, and it was just, you know, uh, you never had enough tunes, so you had to repeat but tunes. It's where you, or, that's you, how
1: you learn to be a professional. You learn right. how to build up stamina to cover a gig all night. If you're a soloist, how to solo all night and not just repeat yourself right. to keep it interesting. How to, you know, be a professional and uh, there's not enough gigs anymore, and guys are becoming so good, but they're skipping that step. When yeah, I was it's thirteen, it's like they have a
0: showcase or something with one set. Exactly. It's like, it's not when I was same.
1: 13, I would play every Friday night. for From between 13 and 15, I played every Friday night at a place called Cheers in Fort Lauderdale, uh-huh. which you know they have 4 a.m. liquor licenses there. And yep. I would play four sets a night from 9.45 till 3.45 in the morning. This is as a 13 year old where we would, I'd be soloing all night. And that's what helped me start to build the vocabulary that now people ask me, where did all this vocabulary come from? Well, it came because I was forced to solo for hours on end. You didn't want to repeat yourself. exactly.
0: So, I mean, when I grew up there, that was, that was the days of, I played with a guy named Bobby Caldwell, and we yeah. were kind of R&B, and, and we played a lot of stuff. Uh, I was very good friends with Jaco Pastorius. He was coming up at the time. There were people like Ira Sullivan down there. He's still there. Yeah. <laughs> there was, uh, my, my favorite was this guy, Little Beaver, which you actually Beaver. you
1: cut. Uh, a couple of Little Beaver tunes
0: uh, for me, and I really appreciate you doing that. You killed it.
1: Little Beaver, one of the all-time most underrated musicians.
0: Absolutely. Great singer, great guitar player, and it was sort of like blues, but with maybe a little chord change or something that was just a little more interesting than just three chord. Um, You know, it wasn't done just to throw something in. It made a lot of sense musically. Absolutely. But it was just made your ears kind of perk up Mm because it was just something... Uh, that you wouldn't normally hear, um, yeah. you know, in, in traditional blues stuff. Yep. And uh, so who who are some of your other favorite artists that you... Uh,
1: well, definitely growing up, it started with Albert King and B.B. King. They were most important right. to me. Um, I was, you know, my dad had a big vinyl collection. So there'd be music on all the time. We'd be watching sports and listening to music. So the Yankee game would be on TV and music would be playing. So it could be... Rolling Stones or Allman Brothers, or it could be Miles Davis, or it could be B.B. King. So I I was hearing all this good music and B.B. was the first thing that grabbed me, and then Albert King. And then around that, you know, you're talking the 90s, so then Stevie Ray passed away. And I never got a chance to see him, I was 10 when he passed away. So I didn't even really know Stevie. I knew who he was, but when he passed away, that's when I got interested because uh, his name it was all over the news, and right. I wanted, to, you know, delve in more to this. And it was a game changer finding Stevie Ray as a kid because it was like high energy. It was blues, yeah, yeah. It was I could see. Like, I I got a bootleg tape and seeing him sweat like that and play so much passion. It was like I want to do that, you know. And he was a gateway then to a lot of other blues that I hadn't quite found yet. <laughs> Uh, like Otis Rush and things like that and um,
0: you know yeah. I uh, I loved B.B. and Albert as well and I've become even more infatuated with Freddie these days because what yeah. a great singer he was a great, great player, singer. and that you know that show that's on TV called The Beat well it's course, on the yeah. internet that you can get from 1965 66 yeah. I know we talked about that a lot you know that you know there's a lot of just great performances yeah, and, I have the
1: whole series on DVD yeah
0: <laughs> And Freddie was, like, he was a local there. So, I mean, he was on a lot of different episodes. So, um, you know, and his singing kills me. And there was was a lot more to his stuff, too, than just three-chord blues.
1: What's really interesting about the history of those guitar slinger frontman guys is seeing, you know, how it filtered out across the country to me. That's really fascinating to me. Like, seeing you know, first switching from acoustic to electric and seeing T-Bone Walker and Lonnie Johnson kind of start this thing and B.B. King hear those guys right, and do something. And then B.B. truly was like a revolution. Like without B.B. King, Albert King would not exist or Freddie King would not exist. Well, and
0: he re- introduced the
1: white audience actually to well, a lot of stuff to, to well. But not even that, to the black audience. He was like, they heard B.B. King, Albert King heard B.B. King and knew yep. he could do that, you know? Same with Freddie King. Uh Bobby Bland... You know, if you listen to the early Bobby Bland records, he's trying to sing exactly like B.B. King before he yeah. found his voice. You know, Otis Rush especially. The first record is a B.B. King copy record almost. You One know? of my
0: favorite artists is Little Milton, oh, yeah. Little Milton Campbell. Yeah. And he kind of, you know, when I listen, his voice sounds a lot like Bobby Bland. You
1: know, when oh, you yeah. think about it. Absolutely. You know, if you listen to him. Well, he was, you know, he's a little few years removed from those guys, yeah. you know. And it's like, yeah, he was hearing what Bobby Bland did with... Little Milton with BB's thing, you know, but he Little Milton also has like some of that uh, Solomon Burke stuff going on. Oh yeah, and, you know the R and B. And there
0: was yeah, on. there was a lot of stuff that was different forms that he played. You know that he was playing blues over R B. Oh yeah, basically. like Grits
1: Saint yeah. Groceries and yeah. things like that. That yeah. was one of
0: my favorites. Yeah. And if Walls could talk and different things
1: like that. You yeah, know, so. Tyrone Davis, type another stuff. one. All yeah, that stuff. Yeah, those those guys started to kind of mix in the soul with the blues. They were blues guys at heart, absolutely. Right. You know, yeah,
0: and uh, you know, on our thing on the All Guitar Network, you know, um, Josh does stuff like uh, you know he's got a few different episodes where some is just straight blues, some of it's R and B, how to play over a shuffle and stuff like that. Yeah, so we're gonna take a short break and we're gonna come back with Josh in just one sec. Um, Stay tuned, Um, Josh. Can you take us out with something that's a little more Curtis Mayfieldy type? Curtis
1: Mayfieldy, sure.
0: We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, go to allguitarnetwork.com or go to the App Store and download the All Guitar Network. It's free, and you get to see these podcasts for free the following week. The podcast will be on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, you'll see the video at the All Guitar Network exclusively. Josh Smith, one of the greatest guitar players of all time, <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, uh, for my money, don't get any better than this Thank guy you, right Laura. here. That's incredible, and uh, I, I've heard so many great guitar players in I my know life, you have. <laughs> and I'm saying it in truthfulness. I mean, I really believe that he is one of the most incredible, authentic, and original guitar players. Thanks, man. Uh, you and, know, it's, in all styles.
1: It's funny, you know, when you. you when you decide you're going to dedicate your life to something you know there's got to be a reason for it right and right. and uh, you know I, all i've ever wanted is to just be the best guitar player i could be that's well, you the done most did important it. thing you know it's like i've i've dedicated my life to that you know i love this thing so much
0: i know it's, we talk guitars and we kind of go crazy over different stuff josh is playing a 175 right now yeah. but he plays you know tellies and Les pauls and 175s and l5s and acoustic stuff just and all of it
1: because well, it's makes such a sound fascinating so instrument and it's Everything has its place. I'm fascinated by why did this guy use this for this? Why does this sound right for this? Why do these things sound a certain way? It's all so fascinating to me. Yeah.
0: Every guitar has got its own voice and personality Absolutely. and all that. And when yeah. you have somebody like you playing it, you can bring out all those things.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's obviously you, you're you influenced by the history of stuff. So it's like you see a telly and you think of certain things no matter what. So it's like you're thinking about country or you're thinking about – R&B, Steve Cropper and Cornell Dupree or whatever. You see a Strat, you're thinking about Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Curtis Mayfield, you know, and uh, I see a guitar like this, I'm thinking about certain things, you know. It's it's yeah. just automatic. It just you know?
0: pulls it out of you. you yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, Josh is a, a family man. His beautiful wife Nikki's in here watching this. And <laughs> uh, um, his son is a TV star. Can you yeah. talk about that? Or is that uh, – do you – Well,
1: he. I don't, I don't like to talk about it that much. But, yeah, he's a very talented young man. And uh, he's been on a bunch a nice of Nice kid, TV very stuff. bright. And, and he's a special – you know, everybody thinks their kid is – can do no wrong and my kid's uh special well i'm right well you guys did a good job yeah Yeah,
0: he is a really good kid yeah and uh so tell me tell us like what's it like having to go out on the road i mean this is what you have to do to support a family you gotta go out take those gigs and you know well
1: it's you know that's the hardest part of this is figuring out your lane to to be able to do this for life you know what i mean because it's a Major sacrifice and a commitment, and it's full of a tremendous amount of ups and downs. Um, Without Nikki, I would never have been able to reach even the small level I'm at right now because we moved here with no idea what we were going to do, you know, and the job she got basically – supported us for 15 years you know well
0: good for and, you you and, got a good one
1: well yeah i mean because i there's no way for me to know especially when i was more working as a side man i couldn't guarantee that i'd i'd make any money every yep. year so now some years i'd do all right and some years i wouldn't but it was so cyclical and up and down that without the stability of the, my you know wife doing the same her thing uh, i wouldn't have been able to do my thing to help to almost you know have it Pay off now where it's at least a stable well, money that happens for me doing my thing. You know? I mean, a
0: lot of people know about you. And if anybody doesn't, they should because you're something else. Well, it's
1: a difficult, that's a difficult thing, you know, yeah. to – this is such a hard business. You know, when I was doing all sideman stuff and session stuff, I mean, that's the reason I moved to LA was yep. to, to not do my thing. Was to do sessions, to do sideman work. And that worked, you know. But it, like I said, it was so up and down. And somehow it has naturally swung back to – what I'm doing again now, which is my thing, but it's so much more difficult to to make your thing pay off. I understand. Well, I've been married for 50
0: years, and uh, you know, you always wanna make your wife proud. Um, I say a lot of dumb stuff that she goes, what the hell do you say that for? And I do it all the time. So, um, you know, and she tries to keep me in line, and uh, you know, but you know, you do what you have to, you know, for your family. Um, you, I mean, they knew what they were getting into when That's they married you, and you she know. you know that.
1: There's part of that to it for sure, you know? Yeah. But you never, even though you know, like, someone, you know, when you got married, she didn't know you were going to become the world's greatest guitar dealer in the history of guitar. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't hear you. Well, what did you say? You that, know that, what that, I'm, that, I'm saying? I know. I mean, no, she no, thought I'm you were going to be a musician, yeah. right?
0: She did. That's what I came out here to do. But uh, the guitar thing, I did it on the side because um, I could take a nice guitar and I could walk in and show somebody a great guitar and say, this is a great guitar. I knew what sucked about my music and I couldn't walk into the record companies go, this is great and hand them a wasn't even a CD back then. It would be a uh, tape, uh, you know, and I kind of would say it and then duck because I knew kind of what I didn't like about it. Sure. And, uh, you know, back in those days, you didn't have all the stuff that you can do with correcting pitch and tempo and all the kind of things. Some of the best things I've ever done never made it to tape because there was something, some kind of disaster that went Gonna on afterwards to. and we had to ditch it and do it again. And after about seven takes or 10 takes or 20 takes, all the life got
1: taken out of it that does happen it makes you appreciate the uh tremendous greatness of all these records old and guys great, yeah and the, the old artists that we yeah. grew up listening to
0: absolutely know. and now vinyl is the big thing again you know well
1: it's the only market where it's actually growing every year. Yep. You know, it's it's <laughs> you yeah, know, we're talking small numbers and percentages, but for the last five, six years it's grown every year how much vinyl gets sold.
0: Well, it died for a minute and then came back. So uh, yeah. you know, I never really took good care of my records. So, you know, when I would try to go to cut number four or five, it was like <laughs> Yeah. You know, so my records a lot of time were sort of unlistenable, but I still listen to them. And, and a lot of stuff that I remembered when I was a kid, some of the tunes, some of the local things out of Miami, R&B and stuff, mm. I thought I would never be able to get those records again. And you can find them on the Internet.
1: Yeah. And it's unbelievable. It yeah. is unbelievable. Every now and then there'll there'll be something pop in my head from old, you know, some old thing and it's not, I can't find it. And it flabbergast me because it's like, you can find everything.
0: now. I know. It's amazing. Everything. Somebody's got a copy of it and they put it out there. Yep. And, uh, yep. you know, all these old artists, I never thought I'd ever be able to, hear certain tunes again, and I would put in, like, uh, you know, Frank Williams and the Rocketeers, I Feel My Love Coming Down, one of my favorite tunes. And it was, you know, it wasn't a big hit. It was a local thing, but it was just fantastic. It was a little Mm. beaver playing guitar and singing. One of the great tunes. I don't know if you've heard that one, but this is, uh, oh, man, it's unbelievable. Anyhow, I figured, well, I'll never hear that again. And I just, it came to my mind, and I asked Jen, you know, who works with me, I said, hey, can you look this up? immediately pops right up. You know, yeah. so
1: it's yeah. amazing. Well it is. I mean, it's part of the world we're dealing with right now. This yeah. the digital world. It's it's a blessing and a curse for yep. for musicians. You know? Well whatever
0: you say or whatever you do, if you put it down and it's out there, it stays out there. So well, yeah, be it's careful funny. what you do and what you well, say. That's and...
1: exactly it. I've I've gotten into this conversation with Kirk and Joe and Matt Schofield and other friends, Eric Gales about, you know, Now every note, literally every note I play in a year is is available. You know what I mean? So it's like you can't have an off night. So some of my friends were like, you know, I don't want people videoing every show. I'll take it down off YouTube. And I kind of go the other way. It's like if you don't want it to show up, then you better not suck. You know what I mean? You kind of have to be be prepared every night, every minute. But it is. It takes it out of you sometimes a little bit because you're like – You know, I've had – you know, we all have. I had nights where I go, I didn't like that. And, of course, that entire thing is up on YouTube – by the end of the night, you know what I mean? And it's like somehow the one that I hated the most will be the one that gets shared and all of a sudden it has a million views, you know? And it's like, And sometimes,
0: I mean, you probably agree with this, but I mean, I remember when I used to play, some of the nights where I was embarrassed, people would come up and say, that was great. And some of the nights where I thought I played great, it was like, you know, kind of lukewarm. So you never know.
1: There's no accounting for what people, they're hearing it different than you are. You know what I mean? I have a standard that I'm trying to achieve that ingrained in my head and you know i know whether i hit it or not but it doesn't mean that they didn't enjoy the show equally right. on it as a night that i thought Listen, i was on campaign.
0: a night that you're 60 percent you're like 100 percent better than everybody else oh, so i'm sorry about that, you know, but, but I, it's been a, I, it's I it's been a
1: thing to figure out i i used to be pretty obsessed with being as perfect as i could be on a gig you know, which is not a good thing to do, you know, it's like, but it used to be, it used to drive me. Like if I would hear a recording from a gig and you're talking two hours of playing, I'd have one mistake. It would yeah. drive me crazy, you know, and I've let that go a long time ago. Like you, you, got can't, to... you can't hold on to that stuff. And, and
0: you know what? I think people appreciate when, um, when it is real, And if there is kind of something that's not absolutely perfect, I mean, we've been doing like these videos and Ormsburg guitars for years and kind of the more we screw up sometimes, people like it because they know that it's not retouched up and that we're not, you know, trying to go for perfection. We're just going for a feel and for fun and, you know buddy's talking and that kind of thing, you know? So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing that, you know, with everything being so perfected now, um, and sanitized, it takes a lot of the feel out of a lot of stuff. So
1: it certainly can. I mean, it's an age where, you have unlimited opportunity to perfect things, you know.
0: All you need to do is play the chorus one time right, and then you can just loop it. Well, that's and, you know,
1: that's the great thing about the way that these guys made records that we were talking about, is they had to commit to everything. And yeah. if they got it close enough, it was like, well, that's that's it, you know.
0: Some of my favorite old records, some of it's a little out of tune. Absolutely. And different but things. you
1: made decisions on the fly. You did it and you're like I, okay, that's good. I can deal with that. Let's build on that, you know, or or whatever. You just quickly made decisions. Now you can get into this where you vacillate over every decision because you can. Yep. You have unlimited time and options and, and you know, uh, so it's like so that it can be great for creativity, but it can also hurt you because you'll never finish the project. You know yep. what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, you can't be too critical. And when you play, man, it's so good that, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody would— disagree with me that you're one of the great players. Um, Tell me, like, what's going on right now? What are you doing, what are you promoting, where are you touring, Uh, you know?
1: Well, I'm mostly, uh, I've been touring like crazy the last 18 months. I know
0: that, every time I call you, well, Josh is out of town. Yeah, but
1: uh, but I'm home now, a lot of the the back half of this year, I have a a few more things to produce in my studio for other artists. I'm finishing up a a woman's record right now, we're mixing. I'm finishing my live album, Blu-ray video, that will be coming out later this year. I'm really excited about that. I've never done a live record. People have been asking for it forever, and I videoed the the whole thing in 4K. It looks incredible. Um, I'm hoping to promote it properly because I feel like... um, I feel like people are gonna like it. We really, really, really went for it that night and it's right. good and I hope And you that... caught the right night. We did, right well, we region. did two nights at the Big Potato and I'm glad we did two nights because even after all this, I, I was tight the first night. We all were, I felt like we were tight. We were noticing the cameras and knew we were recording and it was a long day. We were in there early setting up and getting sound and all that. And then you gotta play the gig and it was like, I, not that we played bad, but I looked back at the first night and it was like, that's OK. I hope we're better the second night. And then we were. We were very relaxed. And so it's, it's 98% second night on this.
0: The- I, I remember back in the old days, you know, uh, the first thing that the recording engineer would do is try to get the drum sound. Sure. And sometimes that would take four hours of hitting a tom-tom going
1: boom. Yeah.
0: And then putting a little tape on it and going boom. You know, and by the time you started playing the tune, you were already half asleep, you know, that yeah. kind of thing.
1: You know? Man, so, it's such a, like...
0: Having a studio in your house is great because if you wake up at three in the morning...
1: With an idea, you can go do it. But again, it's that unlimited amount of choices, you know. Yeah. But it is, I do sometimes also long for the way, the other way. Like imagine, I was watching a documentary about Fleetwood Mac making mm-hmm. uh Tusk, the yep. record after Rumors. I remember that. And they spent a year on this record. I, know. You know? I supplied
0: some instruments I'm sure to you, Lindsay did. and you know.
1: But like the thought of doing nothing but being creative for a year and having the the budget. Like this isn't sitting in your home studio. This is going to Oceanway, you know, and which is now East West or whatever. Right. And, uh, going and Having unlimited, like, oh, let's can we get timpanis in here by 2 o'clock? You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Well, they had a marching band and exactly. part of that. Exactly. Let's know, go to just... Dodger Stadium and record yeah, marching there you band. you You know uh, what I mean? Well, like,
0: you know, it was a good thing that they were of the caliber and sold as many records as they could because, I mean, that budget for that record must have been just
1: ridiculous. No, but it also, there is something to be said for sometimes genius comes out of the ability to suck. Like to just try it until you find it, because you may have a terrible idea, but it may lead to a great idea. Right. Like, like, I mean, I watched the, the Jimmy Ivey documentary about making, um, damn the torpedoes with, with Mm -hmm. Tom Tom. and they worked on that drum sound for months. You know what I mean? But they made a great fucking record, a magical record.
0: Uh, what did you say by the way? What? Um, repeat that last line that you just, they made a great great fucking record. Okay. We don't really like to talk like that here on this show. You know, (laughs) this is PG. So, um, if you want to say anything fucking bad, you know, just don't say that anymore.
1: I apologize. I've been good. That was the first one I dropped.
0: I know. Well, I don't really give a fuck, but you know, that's, (laughs) it's okay. So, uh, but, uh, I am so thankful to my buddy, Josh and, you know, on top of being a great musician and Loving the fact that I've known and uh, so many great musicians. I consider Josh a really great friend, and he's a great person and a great young man. And, you know, you, I Norm. mean, he's got a lot of career ahead of him producing, playing, singing, writing, all this stuff. I mean, uh, and if you want to go into a great studio, um, hit me up. <laughs> yeah, go to Josh's studio. If you want to support the arts, take care of Josh and buy some of his CDs, his records, his, uh, you know, shirts, his hats, you know. And if the you need a guitar st-
1: buy it from Norm. Thank you very much.
0: I appreciate that. So we're at the Norm's Ray Guitars podcast. I can't thank Josh enough and I hope uh if you're going to be in town maybe uh, I know we've got, you know, my buddy Bruce Foreman that's going to come in maybe yeah. next week. Um, we'll I'd talk love about it the if you'd be my uh, world. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I'd like you to be my sidekick from time to time if you have the If time. I'm here, yeah. You know, it's always it's a pleasure because it's like A couple of friends and buddies just sitting around talking and, you know, I I think we're on the same wavelength a lot of the time. I can't play like he can, but, uh, you know, we think alike and like a lot of the same music.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: uh, you can uh, see this on the All Guitar Network. That's going to be the video of this. And uh, you can listen to it on our podcast, the Norm's Rag Guitars podcast. I thank you guys for listening and watching this thing. And I'm grateful and humbled. And uh, I'm so grateful to people like Josh Smith, you know, who's willing to come in here and give his time. And his wife, Nikki, for putting up with me and all that kind of stuff. Thank you, guys. Anytime, Norm. Um, You know that. Anything for you, I
1: also consider you a true friend.
0: He is is family and, again— do whatever you can to support this guy because this is real music. This guy can play like nobody's business. And if you ever want to find out what anybody thinks, go ask Joe Bonamassa what he thinks of Josh Smith, because uh, and and it's unanimous with a lot of people. So uh, and we'll see you on the Joe Bonamassa blues cruises and all that kind of stuff um, in Europe kirk fletcher also our buddy and also eric gales you know just you brought him up a little while ago eric is killing Uh, it right now. oh man he is like get his new record
1: i wrote a song on there for him on his new record so there you
0: go that's another one who started out as a young guy who was like one of the young it's funny getting to be friendly
1: with eric i can tell him you know i kirk and i can both make him laugh because he's a few years older than him than kirk and i and joe Uh and eric was signed on uh Arista records i think when he was 15 right. and there were stories about him in guitar players so i saw him and here i am 12 probably seeing this kid he had a stevie ray strat at the time yeah and he played upside down and it was you know this is the next Jimi hendrix the next big guy so i immediately bought that record when it was released and he was on our Arsenio hall show and uh, i i wore that record out He's because i thought ass. this is someone my age you know who t- who's doing it? Like I could, I I got to do that. You know, yeah. and, and Cody
0: Wright, who was playing with him for a while too. When yeah. I first saw that, I was I grew up with Jocko. I was kind of knocked out by Cody. Yeah. Um, on the cruise, the last time, everybody was talking about Chris Kane. There's well, another Chris, guy.
1: Chris is a, a legend. That not enough people know about. Absolutely. You know, I first saw Chris when I was 12 years old. He came to tour and he played in uh, Delray Beach, Florida at a place called The Back Room. He had his overalls on Uh and he came out and started singing like B.B. King and playing like B.B. King and Albert King. And I couldn't believe what I was...
0: Hearing, and and then he plays a piano like he
1: Ray plays Charles, piano like Ray and he Charles. plays, he uh, knows, sax, a, he plays jazz very well. He's just an incredibly deep musician and kind guy. And he's funnier
0: than hell too. Yeah, he you know, he's like yeah. one of these guys who you know, it's just like a great hang when you're hanging around with him. This is a
1: guy that deserves way more oh, attention yeah. than he absolutely.
0: Has. And I hope you guys listen to these names and support these people because yeah. they're all fantastic, and we want to keep it all alive. Yep. So keeping the blues alive, like Joe Bonamassa said. Thank you guys for listening. The great Josh Smith, thank thank you, you, and I really appreciate the time. See you next time. All right. Take us out, Josh. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Please rate, review, and tell us what you like about our podcast. If you don't like anything, don't tell us. we are actually tell us so we can correct it. Anyhow, you can get us at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a guitar freak, you're going to love this show. we got some great guitar players coming up. If you're not a guitar freak, if you're just a freak, you'll still love this show. Thank you for listening.